All right. Jesus made this crazy statement. I wanted to read it to you. It's always interesting when you quote somebody, it's, uh, it, it should get your interest by, by who they are and what they were. When you say Jesus said it, that's a whole nother level. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even after dying, will, will have life even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die, says the NLT. Thought that was cool. And then he says, do you believe this? Say it again. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? Amen. Let me go home. That's a powerful statement. It's something for us to chew on and uh, uh, make a part of, of our, our like kind of our thinking. I spent some time in the last few days. I, I got a little habit of walking in the yard. So if you ever see me at my house, walking around the house, that's, that's a little habit of mine. And just kept saying this verse in my mind. I'm, I'm memorizing another translation, so it's weird reading it out of this one. But I just kept just reflecting on this idea that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. What do you think about when you hear that? First thing that came to mind, I don't know what this says about me, but I thought about Miller High Life, right? Because they got all these commercials, Miller High Life, it's on, and Jesus says he's the life, and Miller says they're the life. So who's the life, right? Because Miller says they're the life, and every time Miller says they're the life, they got some really attractive girl between 23 and 29, and she's always got a Miller up in the air. That's kind of like her thing. And eventually she's going to yell, and she's going to bend her back, and go, whoo! And she's going to hold Miller. That's the picture you got in her mind. And then the music's going to come on in the video, and some really good-looking dude in his 20s is going to come up, and she's going to put her hands in there, and they're going to dance. And that's Miller High Life. And most of our culture is built around trying to have that one little minute of life. So much so that old people like me, older people like me, older people like me, we still try to be that. Let me just tell you, if you're my age and you're trying to be her, you look foolish, just so, just so you know. Because <laughs> everything's not shaped the same because that was like the prime of life, right? That's when everything like somewhat was in the right place and, and that was your best 10, 15 years according to our society. It's almost embarrassing how much we elevate 18 to 29. Like that was the best. We did the stupidest stuff in our life between 18 and 20. Why we elevate that? We keep on saying that's when the high life, every commercial, they're all trying to draw you to that age point so that all the, everything is kind of peaked in their mind. And, and I wrote in my notes, man, that's the tiny life. That's the Miller tiny life because it's just like this little brief part of life. And we elevate it so high that, man, once you in and out of it, now what you going to do? You touch 30, what you going to do now? What you going to do when you start having these all in your forehead, right? And this starts going this way, and this starts going this way, and we got all these variety of stuff going on. Now what you going to do? If that was life, now I don't have life. It's a tiny little life. It's uh, still what the church believes often, though. Like we come in here because just in case there is a God, we ought to be here. But the rest of the week, we believe in this. We're not talking about alcohol, you know, I'm not cracking on. I'm talking about life. Like I need something else to give me life. 
If I go to a party, I got to have something else to give me life, some kind of entertainment, some kind of substance, something to give me life because my life stinks, so I got to cover it up because I don't really have life. That's why I call it the tiny life. It's, uh, it's weak. Let me just put a little more pressure on you. That's why we get all excited when Tim Tebow talks. Because I think Timbo, Timbo, Tebow, uh, <clears throat> I think he truly knows Jesus and he is the resurrection and the life. But Christians get all excited because now we got a good looking, big, athletic rascal. that looks like he might win a fight and he's ours because we believe in a tiny life. And he's got our little sticker on. So we want to tell everybody Tim Tebow's a believer. He can't even throw. I mean, good grief. <laughs> and we get all excited. Carrie Underwood sings a hymn. Everybody gets all excited because she's gorgeous. And we, we believe in the tiny life, so we need somebody gorgeous to talk about Jesus. Because Jesus ain't got enough on his own. We need somebody gorgeous to be on our team. So we want to put, you know, we get all excited about this stuff. So just so you know, you might have a little Miller High Life in you. Just believe in a tiny life. And the statements of Jesus are not enough. We need somebody else to make them for us. Had a great privilege last night to see um, the Brazzles celebrate their 30th. That don't happen every day. Absolutely. We got some in this room that have celebrated many more, so we clap for you too. And we got some closing in on 30. We clap for you too because these days that just isn't happening. But Melissa got up and, and read this thing. Melissa was like this love note to her husband. And, and, and Randy sat down and Melissa stood up and she read. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, the two ladies at my table were crying and I really wanted to. I really wanted to. <laughs> Just been crying enough and talking about crying enough. I can't cry here. This is, I was getting crazy. She talked about her love for Randy, and I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, it was, it was rich. It was rich. Yeah, maybe she'll read it to you sometime. One of my favorite parts, Melissa, was the 72 Nova. I, I like to see that, Randy. I like to see the 72. It's probably crunched at this point based on the story, but doesn't sound like it ran well uh, for for many of their early years in marriage and one of my favorite lines was melissa talked about how excited she was even though some people didn't think too highly of them because of their 72 nova she loved that car because it was when she heard it and evidently you could hear it uh when she heard it coming down that road that meant randy was coming home from work and she was excited to see her husband and and she expressed that in a beautiful way to her husband after 30 years it was it was just a rich experience for me getting to watch it and to hear to see healthy something we talk about a lot here healthy uh, a husband and wife that love each other uh, way past their 20 something prime I, i'm assuming randy but but just uh, uh, but let me just say this if that's all they had they just got a small life here's what was cool is that as Melissa went on and as Randy spoke and as a couple of their kids spoke, they spoke of this relationship with God that was uh, even richer than the relationship that they have with one another. Matter of fact, they would claim that the richness of a relationship they have with one another is because of this relationship with, with our Savior. And there was this. So, so if all they had, though, at the end of this life was a deep love for one another and four great sons and a bunch of great grandbabies, then let me just say this to you. That's a small life. Because Jesus is offering something bigger than that. 
That's, that's a whole lot better than the tiny life where you try to be 20 your whole life. You actually got a purpose and, and, and there's goodness in it and there's health in it, but it's, but it's not a full life unless Jesus is involved. I think that sometimes we as believers, we show up here on Sunday and, and either we really believe in the tiny life and we come here just in case there's really a God. And sometimes we come here uh, because we think we're almost there. Like if I get a few more things tweaked in my life, then I'll be there. That's just not true. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the definition of life. Let me pray and we'll read some verses. Lord, you've been good to us here at Radius. We've uh, opened your word many times. You've spoken out of it many times. We pray you do the same today that you would... Uh, we, we often ask you to breathe life into us. You, you're actually stating that you're the life here. So teach us in our few minutes together. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. John chapter 11. We're going to jump back to John chapter 10 next week and catch the good shepherd. But this week, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Verse 1, he says, and a man named Lazarus. Some of y'all grew up in church. This would have been one of your favorite stories. If you haven't, I'm going to introduce you to a guy named Lazarus. Maybe your next kid's name, all right? A man named Lazarus was sick, and he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. So it was really interesting the way John's writing. He's, he's writing in chronological order, but he, in this moment, he points forward to chapter 12 when he's going to tell a story about Mary, which is interesting because he's trying to establish for you, the reader, the person who's understanding that Jesus loved these people and they loved him. There's a deep relationship between this little family and Jesus. So, so much so that Mary poured most expensive perfume over his feet. And her brother Lazarus was sick. And so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. What you going to do when your child gets sick? I'll tell you what, I got a little list of people that I want to pray. So I'm going to text them, email them, call them. And the, the guys and the ladies that pray the best, they're going to get the most calls. I'm going to probably tell everybody if one of my kids is on the ropes. I want everybody to pray. But I've got a few people that I'm going to ask to fast and pray because I believe they know how to pray. And that's exactly what Mary and Martha did. they they like, let's go get Jesus. That's the answer. Let's go get Jesus. But when Jesus heard about this, Lazarus' sickness, he says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although, and catch it again, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. If you know the story, you know what happens. Jesus stays in one place so that Lazarus can die. That just don't sound like love to me. I don't know about you. Doesn't sound like love. You would think he would, he would come running, like he would come sprinting to, to their aid. There'd be this uh, desperation about getting there on time. Or, or we know he's God. He could say it from where he's at. He would say something and heal Lazarus where he is and be done with it. But instead, he delays and he delays on purpose as we read the passage. And these are people that he loves. I want you to. One of the cool, best parts of this story is just how much Jesus loves real people. 
You can imagine him sitting in, because he probably did. He probably stayed with his family, with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And they probably ate meals together, sat around the table together, and, and, and talked and just enjoyed life together. You can imagine him and Lazarus out in the backyard throwing horseshoes together. What, whatever you want to imagine to make it, them feel close. There's this depth of relationship that they have like you share with your friends. But Jesus delays, and there's this weird line in there that I think we all got to grapple with. Know it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Uh, John Piper was a famous preacher up in Minneapolis. I read his stuff this weekend. Uh, one of the things he said, love means giving us what, we, what, we, what will bring us the fullest and longest joy. You know this as a parent, right? When you love your kid, you give uh, them what will bring them the fullest and longest joy. So we discipline them when they're little because eating a ton of jelly beans when you're five isn't the best for you when you're 65, right? Because when you lie when you're five, you might steal when you're 15 and get locked up. So when you lie when you're five, we're going to help you understand that's not a healthy practice one way or another. We, we, we discipline our kids. And Piper says that's love. When you pass on that, when you don't execute that, you don't love. He's saying that God loves us so much that it means giving us what will bring us the fullest and longest joy, which might mean suffering. That might mean difficulty and pain because he wants the best for us long term. And when he thinks long term, he's not thinking 72 or 65 or 85 or 95 years. He's thinking all time. Piper goes on to say, because our treasuring God's glory above all things, even life itself, is the way we join God in demonstrating his glory. This is a famous Piper quote if you, if you went to quotes. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. That doesn't say that we work hard. It says that we're satisfied in him, that our life is in him. That brings him glory. Let me, let me just take that way to a deep point, probably the deepest moment in my existence here on earth. We're in our late 20s, I guess. We're in, living in a little house in Iowa. remember I had one bathroom, which was, was interesting. Some of y'all know how that works. And, and it had hardwood floors. I remember one night just being overwhelmed with this tension that I was having of this love relationship that I had with my kids. I had a, a four-year-old, I believe, a three, uh, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old. Israel had it was a little baby. Might have been zero. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> just like overwhelmed with my love for my kids. I love Cheryl. Cheryl can kind of take care of herself, right? Sometimes I think Cheryl can handle it better than I can. So, so we're equals and we're together and have this deep love for her. And I'm going to go to bat for her. But we're, we're, we're equals and we got these little rascals running around. And we both just overwhelmed with how much joy and love that we were getting out of these rascals. Uh, and it struck me, this idea, that God's glory is more important than their life. 
And it was just a killer moment where I had to wrestle with the Lord. He's a good God. I wasn't expecting him to take the life of my children. But I did feel like in my own mind to have everything sorted out and right. His glory, just so I ranked them right, his glory had to be above their life. I mean life like living I mean, I mean, to this point, if they lose, them losing their life brought him more glory, then I wanted to get to the point to be good with it. That's what he's saying when he says, I'm the resurrection of life. I am the definition of life. There's no other form of life that trumps my life. And that was a gut-wrenching process, but healthy, because then somehow in the sovereignty of that, I could trust him with their life. Because it's some, for some unknown reason, I felt like I could control and protect these little rascals, which I, I still try to do and, try, and, and strive to do. But in the end of the day, I trust the Almighty with them. And His glory comes ahead of their life. <laughs> comes way ahead of my life. I'm kind of comfortable with losing my life. But it was intense when I started thinking about the people I loved the most. Verse 8, but disciples objected. They say, uh, Rabbi or teacher, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. We're going back there again. Jesus says, we're going to Judea, and the boys are like, you ever had a friend like that? You remember last time we went to that place? You know, you're going to say the same stupid thing you said last time, and you're going to get us killed. That's what's going to happen. Or we gonna, something bad is going to happen. The disciples are like, Jesus, every time we go there, you say something, and they throw, they're ready to throw rocks at us. And Jesus replied, there are 12 hours in daylight every day, and during the day, people can walk safely. Then they can see because they have light of the world. But at night, there is danger and, uh, of stumbling because they have no light. And then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him. Jesus is just saying, hey, look, man, they can't take my life until it's time. They can't. It's still light. They can't take my life until it's time. It's, it's interesting. You talk about power. That is complete confidence in your sovereignty. And you're like, I don't care how many stones, how big they are, whatever. If it ain't time, they're not going to hit me. It's not because he's really good at dodgeball, right? It's like, they can't hit me because that's the way it works. And the disciples said, Lord, if, he is, uh, if he's sleeping, Jesus just said, he's falling asleep. I'm going to go wake him. And the disciples like, if he's sleeping, then he'll get better soon. Cheryl says, it's like, we never go to the doctor. She just tells us to go to bed. It's like, if you should sleep it off, sleep it off. She's one of them tough German women. And... Uh, Sleep. And then the disciples were like, he's asleep, let him sleep it off. And they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Jesus, uh, Lazarus had died, verse 14. And so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you'll really believe. Come, let's see him. Verse 16, I, I, I like this verse. Thomas, nicknamed the twin. <laughs> you got all these guys hanging out, and sometimes we lose full color, like, like they're all saints. And we put their pictures up in some stained glass, and they look really pretty. This is Thomas. His nickname's The Twin, and we don't really know why. It could be an interesting reason. But that's Thomas The Twin. He's just real people. And Thomas says, I love this. He says, let's go too, and we'll die with Jesus. Everybody calls him down Thomas. Thomas is like, let's go, boys. We'll die with Jesus. It's like this moment of bravado and strength and courage. And I like Thomas. It's Thomas reminds me a, a, a lot of me because under pressure he rises, but then in the moment when he really needs to believe, he struggled with what he couldn't see. 
But while he could see it and Jesus is there, he's ready to march in and lose his life with this guy he thinks is the Messiah. Uh, I took the boys to see Free State of Jones the other day. Every time I see a movie like that, my adrenaline gets up and I want a piece of the action. I just want one little see, even if I lose my life, just one little moment in life where you bet your life on the right cause. That's what this guy does in the movie. He bets his life on the right cause and he gets close to losing it. And I don't know if you're like me, but for me, that just cranks something up in me. And I'm like, when's my chance going to get to bet my life on the right cause? I think sometimes that joker gets away from me. I think that's why I like those movies so much. Because that buzz that I get off of a cause life. You know, we had a tiny life and a small life. And then there's this cause life. Maybe I would go die for this thing. And Thomas is, is geeked up on the cause life. Sometimes I like to call it mission. I get all excited about being a missionary for Jesus. And telling all my neighbors about Jesus. And I get all geeked up about the dangers of that. And how they may not like me. And I talk about it in a bravado kind of a way. Like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He's saying, this ought to come out of you. It starts with me. You're going to fall so in love with me. I'm going to impart to you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you life. So it ought to naturally. You don't have to get up for it. You don't have to have this big risk party. Its question is, is the life in you? It starts in the closet with Jesus as opposed to standing in my neighbor's front porch. It starts, and I, I like being, I like something a little bit more risky. I don't work at it. I want to get some action going, which has its place. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes I'll get caught up, though, in the cause of life. And everything I ever talk about, and I get stuck in this, is the cause. Forget to talk about Jesus who says he is the resurrection and the life. Uh, Martha shows up, this classic moment. I like Thomas. Martha's my second favorite. And when Jesus arrived in Bethany, he told Lazarus that he's already been in the grave for four days. Just so you understand, four days in their cultures mean you're dead, dead, right? You, you, you were just one day, you just dead. Like maybe he's still got, I mean, and, and culturally they would think maybe his spirit's still around. Maybe he'll come back. Four days, like they're, they're sure. You are dead, dead. You're not mostly dead. You're dead, dead. So that's why he waited four days. And Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, two miles, a lot of people say. So it'd just be like just going right down the road. You'd be past two miles before you got to Piggly Wiggly. That's three miles from me. No, that's four miles from me. It's just a little ways. And Bethany was, Bethany was only a few miles down the road, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary of their loss, and Martha got word from Jesus was coming, and she went out to meet him. I like Martha. She's a person of action. She hears he's coming, she's out. But Mary, I don't know what Mary's doing. Mary stayed in the house, and Martha said to Jesus, and this is a great little conversation, very short, and hopefully you'll embrace it. Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. That's a cool statement, really. Like, that's a faith statement, isn't it? Like, if you'd have been here, I've seen you do it over and over. I have full and complete confidence that you would have handled it and he would have lived. But even now, and then she goes on. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Pretty cool statement. So Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Because that's what Jesus can say. See, he looks at him, okay, I like that statement. 
Uh, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha just stays right in, in line. She goes, yes, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. I know the rapture's coming. I've been studying Jesus. I know you, you're coming back. You're going to set up your kingdom. I'm so excited about it. I know he'll rise again. Anybody else in the room like this? You kind of got all the answers. Even when you're talking to God. <laughs> She's talking to God. She got all the answers. He says a little phrase and she answers. She got it all memorized. And she just keeps dropping her knowledge on Jesus, which is hilarious because that's what I do. I've memorized. I keep on telling people to be blessed. I don't even know what that means. But it's, I mean, what the heck does that mean? Be blessed. Blessed by what? <laughs> but, uh, and so Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in and everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? You can feel the eye contact. Do you believe this, Martha? And she stays right where she's been the whole time. I mean, we're we're reading that over and over today because it's this rich statement. And Martha says, "Yes, Lord." I can feel her saying it. "Yes, Lord." I always believe you are the messiah the son of god the one who has come into the world from god what a beautiful statement that she makes i believe that you're the messiah how could she say anything more i'll tell you how she could say something more did you just say you were gonna raise Lazarus from the dead what did, what did that mean she didn't ask any questions she just kept making statements i think we do this a lot like we've memorized our little sayings. And even in the worst of moments, for some of us, we, uh, we've trained ourselves to say the right things and maybe even believe the right things. There's some health to what Martha's saying. I hope you feel it. There's some health. There's some depth to her response to the loss of a brother. There's this depth, but she's missing the moment. Anybody else got this problem? I do. Uh, uh, Chandler, I was listening to him this week, and he said it in a really cool way. He says that we thin out the now. We hollow out the now. So if we're a healthy tree, and, and our trunk, and the beginning, and how we met Jesus, and the things that we learned is full and healthy, and we look toward the future of one day being with Jesus, that's healthy. We have this great view at the top of the tree and at the bottom of the tree, but we hollow out the now. We take Jesus out of the moment. We don't have any expectations from this deep relationship that we have him right now. He says that I'm the resurrection and the life. He's speaking to Martha. He's talking about right, not in the future. He's talking about right now. Good friend of mine named James Frazee uh, passed away when he was 33. And he helped us plant the first church in Clemson. He was a godly guy. He had three children, wonderful wife, Rachel. So Cheryl and I went to the, to the funeral. It was sad. Rachel was amazing. She glowed with the glory of God. But I got to the casket. They gave us a chance to walk by the casket. It was closed. And uh, I just felt moved. Like, I, I don't want to have a hollowed out now. So I put my hands on the casket, and I prayed. I didn't pray out loud. I wasn't quite, but I just prayed, Lord, would you please bring this guy back to life? I don't know if I believed it, but I wanted to believe There's something in me that wanted. Man, if he'd have kicked out of that casket, I'm going to go ahead and take it. I would have peed my pants right there. It would have been right there. But, but, but there's something about those of us that know that's who we're connected to. 
That's who we're connected to. We don't, I, I didn't know that's what God wanted to do, but that's the God I'm connected to. And Jesus, Jesus wants Martha to get, catch it right now. Not just say, I know God's sovereign, but God just told you I want to ri- raise him from the dead. And so he would ask her, but he's asking you, do you believe this? Do you believe it? Like, stop and think for a second. We're always moving. We want to get to the next thing. If you got to do what I do, go home and walk around your house for an hour and just ask the Lord, do I believe that you're the resurrection and the life, the definition of life itself? I sat around a table the other day with six or seven guys, and we all gave seven-minute testimonies. All of most of us have known Jesus for a while, and we went back and told about how we believed in the people who have influenced us through the years. And as you heard the stories of this variety of men, aged about 30 to uh, late 50s, it was just, just moving to hear how God had chased all of us indifferently, all different families, some, some variety of chaos, the different guys. But God had chased every one of those guys. And just hearing their testimony, the the story, the true story about them made me go, he is the resurrection and the life. Look what he did to us. If you need some refreshment, man, when you go to lunch today, don't focus on the chips. Go with somebody and have them tell you their story of how they met Jesus. Talk about refreshing. I left that meeting feeling great because I have this hope. That life is not defined by some years on a page. That, that, that numbers and time seem really small to the God that I worship. So I anticipate not only an eternity with him, but being alive right now in a way that I never was before. Uh, Martha comes out. Jesus stays outside the village. Mary comes. She goes and gets Mary in verse 31. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. And so they followed her. They were supporting her. And when Mary arrived and they saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, I love this. He says the same thing. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she wept. I hope you feel this. Some of y'all have been through great pain. Jesus watches her weep. And the others around her wailing. And, and look what happens. A deep anger welled up in him. This is our sweet little Jesus with the blue contacts. This is a little sweet Jesus. Mary's weeping at his feet and these people are crying their brains out. And he gets angry. He's not angry because he's like a lot of white guys that when people get loud, they get nervous and they just get orient, disoriented and mad. That's not, he's a Jew. He's, this is their culture. This, they make a lot of noise at funerals. And Mary's there. She's weeping and Jesus is feeling compassion to her and to the situation. And uh, he gets angry. Is that okay for you? This is some kind of righteous anger that um, is different than most of our angers. What's, what's so cool about this moment that he is so angry that he weeps. 
You ever get in a fight with you were a kid and you're so mad you're crying? I used to put my head, brother in the headlock for like an hour and he'd come out, he'd have tears from pain, but he wouldn't quit. So they're like angry tears. They, were like, they felt hot whenever I put my, he was so mad his tears were hot. They were boiling because he wanted some more. I just beat him down some more. I'm five years older than him, but it worked out good. But there was, there was just this anger that comes out and Jesus is angry about this situation. Why is Jesus angry? Is he angry at the people crying? He's angry because it wasn't supposed to be like this. Sin was not supposed to have dominion over the earth. There's supposed to be this deep relationship with God and his people, Adam and Eve, from the very beginning. And sin came in the world and, and took dominion over it. And it keeps destroying life and taking it. It introduced the whole idea of death. And so he's angry. And the cool part is he can do something about it. Uh, what I love in this story is he's going to say some crazy statements. He says, roll away the stone. Like, he's really going to do something about this. I mean, most of the movies I watch, the good guys that are they're living in righteous anger, they're killing people, right? They're taking the bad guy's life, and it makes me really happy. When the bad guys get killed, it makes me really happy. In this case, the powerful, righteous anger gives life. He came into the world to give life to the bad guys. It's the total opposite. It's righteous anger. He comes into the world, and he, in this moment, he's going to raise Lazarus from his physical death. But he says that I'm coming into the world to give all you bad guys life. Check it out. But Martha, Martha's like the comic relief. The dead man's sister protested. I love it. They doesn't call him Lazarus anymore. It's the dead man's sister protested. And she says, Lord, he's been dead for like four whole days. Um... The smell will be terrible. I heard Chandler say this week, the King James says, he stinketh. I mean, that's nasty. I mean, let me go get some spray. You're going to need to spray some of this in there because it's going to be nasty. Don't roll away the tomb. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? And so they rolled the stone aside and Jesus looked up to heaven. I love this. Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud because I don't need to say it out loud because you can hear my thoughts. For the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. And then Jesus shouted. Jesus doesn't seem like the shouting kind of guy. He seems a little bit more like Tony Dungy to me, like quiet and confident. But he shouts in this moment. And I almost wonder, is it in anger? I don't know. But is Lazarus, come out. And these next verses are like hilarious. And, and the dead man came out. <laughs> the dead man came out. And his hands and his feet were bound in grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a head cloth. You talk about the zombie apocalypse, boy. <laughs> this joker just came out of the grave and he's all wrapped up. Augustine, a, a, a great Christian many, many years ago in the 400s, he said it's a good thing that Jesus called him by name. Because then all the dead people would have got up. It would have been chaos. Everybody would have walked out. That would have been, it is a good thing. But at the very end, Jesus looks at the folks. And I can just imagine he's standing there. I don't know how you men in the room are, but if my family's there, I would have took one step back and kind of gone like this. Because I can't run, right? Because my family's here. You can't run. And the kids would have been going, oh, my goodness. And, and there's this, you feel the whole crowd react to this <laughs> zombie coming out of the tomb. What's Jesus say? Take the wrappings off of him. He can't breathe. He's going to die again. Unloose the guy. 
I just read you a story out of the Bible that I believe is true. Do you believe it? You believe that Jesus raised his dude from the dead. That got to change something. That's got to change something. That means that if you're going through a horrible divorce right now, despite whose fault it is, despite all the details, Jesus is the resurrection and the life right now. Despite what's going down, he's offering you that. Despite what happened in your life, the horrible thing that has happened in the last few weeks, he's saying, I'm the, I'm the true definition. As bad as life stinks right now, I'm the true definition of life, and I'm giving it to you. Yeah, yeah, you have to, you know, sometimes there's some stuff that goes down, and you live in the consequences of the stuff that goes down. But he's saying, if you'll turn to me, oftentimes that, that involves some repentance because then you get humble enough to actually recognize that he's the life. That he's where life really is. That's even in the really good days. Like when everything's good. When the greatest thing that's ever happened. You know, when your team wins. When your daughter gets married. Is Jesus still the resurrection? Or was that the highlight of my life? No. It was great. It was more rich. Kind of like the Brazzles. It was more rich because I knew Jesus. Because I knew that this was not the definition of life. He is. Just in closing, I want you to understand something. Lazarus died for you, not for your sins. He's just a dude. He's going to die again in a little while. Poor guy. He died twice. I mean, I wonder if Mary Martha had to watch that rascal die again. They're like, come on. Is he, he going to get up again? They, he died twice, but he died this time for you so you could see the glory of God. We'd read his story today and you'd have to wrestle with. But even more so, I don't know if you know this, but... John, the book of John, it accelerates right after this story. It's been going kind of slow. We've been going through Jesus' life, and then all of a sudden, Jesus heals Lazarus. He rises, raises him from the grave, and it infuriates the religious. And in a few days, Jesus is going to die because they're so angry they want to put him to death. Can you imagine that? I'm thinking if a guy raises somebody from the dead, I want his contact information. Like, I wanted my phone because I might need to know him and call him. Instead, they want to execute him. So that's what they do. In just a matter of days, they're going to execute Jesus. And we celebrate it every Sunday, which is really weird. We have a funeral every Sunday. We celebrate the broken body of Jesus, which would have been gross, covered with his blood. We celebrate it because we believe that that death made a way to life for us. In reality, I died with Jesus, and so I'm celebrating that that old man in me is dead, that I died with Jesus. And I know the end of the story. He was buried, and he rose again, and I live in this new life so that I can claim the promise that I read here at the very beginning that I will never die. This might be my last day in this because they... they they want to get to Lazarus quick because his body's already decaying. It's already becoming, all of us are just a few days from decaying. But because of that, I'm not scared, right? I'm not scared because I anticipate that I'm going to be with the Savior that I have real life. He makes that offer to you today. He wants you to have life.
the true definition of life. What you going to do with it? Let's worship together. Oh, I love you, Jesus. You, uh, you make the stuff that we care the most about seem kind of trivial. The things that you say and the, uh, the way that you walk the earth. You just, uh, you, you almost make us chuckle at some of the things that we center our lives around. But we pray today you'd help us. A lot of us know you. We've known you for a long time. But we get sucked into a variety of ways of looking for life other than being with you. Other than uh, spending time speaking to you. Other than opening your word and just allowing it to speak to us instead of thinking about how we're going to use it to speak to somebody else. Lord, we start finding our life and by, by trying to change our world as opposed to uh, letting you change it through us. So work on us. You've been so faithful to us at this church. But lay these statements deep in our, in, in our minds and Lord, we want them to sink down to our hearts. We want to walk like you're the resurrection and the life. So help us, grow us. Lord, even for somebody, help them make a pledge even right now. They're going to go home. They're going to read that verse, maybe even memorize it. Take an hour out of the afternoon and just reflect on it. That's more important than anything else they could do today. We love you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.